It's, it's 9-11, and um, I wanted to lift up just a quick prayer on behalf of that. We don't do a lot of um, interaction, I guess I, I should say, with our church and um, national holidays per se, but I think this is one where it has affected our world moving forward. And so I just wanted to kind of, in, in memory, but also just as a, um, uh, as a form of prayer, just to lift that up. Would you bow your heads with me? So Father, we thank you. Um, for who you are. We thank you for a nation um, that has freedoms that it does have, God, but to also recognize our placement in the world um, and that America is no more or less um, a part of your kingdom plan than any other country. And so, Lord, we submit that to you, and we would like to see our, uh, our communal, collective, national, even uh, uh, participation be something that glorifies you. But, Lord, we also recognize um, that you are moving in all kinds of areas, in all kinds of ways that has nothing to do with borders or, nation, uh, or, or national lines um, as we have written them today. And so, Lord, we hand that to you um, today, uh, and we ask for you to submit that to your authority. But in the same instance, we also know um, that evil exists in certain areas and extremism in all kinds of things. And so, Lord, we just, um, as we stop and recognize those who acted in courage and ran into buildings that were falling apart, as we acknowledge those um, who walked into uh, uh, a puffs, uh, massive clouds of smoke on the street level, uh, even hearing stories this week, those who had to walk, that were all, everything was shut down and walked across the bridges to get back to their families, Lord. For those who lost their lives and for those um, who have been affected just by uh, a secondary action that now there is a different way in which we board planes. And Father, would we just say and ask for your protection um, wherever that can be found in a way that most glorifies you, and I don't want to define that. So God, we submit our will, our lives, our hearts to you, but we also um, want to say thank you for those who acted in courage and um, who gave of their lives that other people might live, who sacrificed in order um, to, uh, to be of rescue in, in multiple situations um, during that day. Uh, Father, we, uh, we thank you for the gathering of people throughout the country today, and I pray um, that as we remember this, we remember it uh, appropriately and correctly, and we ask for this all right now in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen, 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 amen. Well, good to have you all here. Here's the more exciting announcement that I have. You know, oh, you don't got to remind me, man. I'm, I'm getting there. This is actually, uh, we used to have kind of a regular rhythm of this, but uh, we've fallen out a little bit since COVID. Today, we got donuts for y'all, but I had to make sure the kids were out. They got their own situation, make sure that we're good. Um, but I want to go, uh, just a quick little dismissal. Um, we do have a lot going on today. We're, we're translating what we are going to do outside as a celebration with ministry events, or sorry, with ministry fair, and doing it inside. So all that's still happening. It's just inside, but we got a, a little bit shorter time to get things wrapped up, and I'll try to make up for that in the sermon. But go ahead and stop right now. Go grab some donuts. I don't know if it'd be better just to go out this door and kind of cycle through and come back in, but we got Jack's donuts. It's waiting for you. There's a donut with your name on it. Go snatch it up. Didn't have to ask you twice.
go ahead and grab. If you haven't grabbed a donut, uh, go ahead and grab it. I might get a, get stuff going here in just a few minutes or just a, probably one minute here. Go ahead and grab a donut still. Snatch it up quick. All right, all right. Uh, just for the sake of time, don't feel obligated um, to, to run in, but if you still haven't grabbed your donut, go ahead and grab that, but I'm going to go ahead and move forward with this last mention, and then we'll jump into the sermon, so uh, feel free to still grab that as you need to. Um, my name is Eric Thien. I'm the lead pastor here at Common Ground Northeast. It's good to have you all. If you're here in person or if you're catching us online, we're just glad that you're here. We're glad that God has brought you into our midst, and we pray that God's presence um, would change you into a formation of the likeness of Jesus Christ more and more as you encounter him. We hope a bit of that happens today in the midst of um, our congregation. We are jumping into a new series today. This is kind of the rhythm of our church where we um, launch new ministries that maybe went on pause during the summer. Um, we we uh, launch brand new ones that haven't existed that are just starting. Um, and so just feel free to, um, to hang out afterwards, get to know some of those things. If you are a part of the discipleship, I'm going to release you after the sermon um, and then we are going, or after the service, you're going to go grab some food with everyone else. I think they have um, some things that are already kind of cooking, and then I'll have you come back in at a certain time. Um, and so if you've registered or signed up for discipleship, feel free to grab food, then come back in. Um, and then if you are interested in checking out just the orientation today to decide if you want to be a part of the orientation, um, or if you want to be a part of our discipleship process, you can also come to that orientation today as well. Um, and then if you decide it's not something for you, you can head out on the other side of it. Um, but at least gives you a little bit of a taste of what we're getting into over the next couple of months. Um, and then the last little thing I'm supposed to mention here is All Church Picnic on the 25th, where it's just a time to hang out. There's no, no agenda, no nothing, just our chance to hang out as a church and get to know each other and um, talk over a meal together. So we encourage you to RSVP for that so we know how much food we need to get with the main dish, but then also just encouraging us all to bring um, a side dish or something according to your name, all of that's listed online, and just make sure that you bring something that has a portion that can kind of share with a, a couple of families, about 15 or so people. All right, cool. Um, well, good to have y'all. Uh, you all made it out through the rain. Nice. I saw someone with their coat on, just unfazed, walking in drenched but dripping with all of it coming off of them. I said, that's, that's some commitment right there. Um, well, we're talking today about the idea of belonging, um, what it means to belong. And this is, um, this is what we're going to focus on probably over the next couple of months. We actually don't have an end time for it. Uh, we could do this all the way through Advent if we feel like the Holy Spirit is bringing things to the service and adding to the life of this um, conversation. Um, but over the next uh, at least month, we'll be talking about this one idea. And, um, and so here's how I want to I start. I was in this group of people one time. It was when my wife and I and our family was living in New Orleans. 
And um, I can't remember the topic of discussion. I wish I, could, I did because it would bring a little bit more life to the story. But, um, uh, f- you know, it was some affinity, like something that this group of people loved. And I was, with, I was with one person. We saw these other people out in the wild. And they're like, oh, started talking. Someone even had a T-shirt with this. I can't remember if it was like a movie or a game. So, uh, it could have been sports. I can't remember exactly what it was. But as they were talking, I didn't know much about it. I was just kind of tertiary, waiting, watching. And finally, I'm like, one, I kind of got tired of being on the outside of this conversation. Two, I was just trying to be polite and show some interest in this thing that they were interested in. So I mentioned, just based off of a very basic understanding, hey, oh yeah, this and that kind of thing. And they all light up, and they all turn to me and start asking me all these details about that thing. And it quickly became apparent that I knew nothing about this subject. Right? And she knew it. Like, as we were talking, I remember this one, uh, the, this young woman, w- young woman who was involved in it, um, she, she kind of looks at me and realizes when I don't have an answer to that follow-up question, she's like, oh, never mind. You don't really care about this. You don't really know anything about it. And I'm like, Gah. and then she turned away from me, excluding me from the group. And then they kept talking for a little bit until they were done. And then I went a different way. Now, um, so here's, here's kind of what I, I walked away thinking about this. It was almost like I was an intruder in this conversation. It was like um, I didn't belong in it once I realized I didn't actually have any kind of investment. And in some ways, she's right. I didn't belong in the conversation because in reality, I didn't actually care about the subject. Right? That's the truth of the situation. My low level of investment outed me. She knew it, and she quickly realized, you don't care about this at all. Now, I have experienced this not just in this one situation, but other situations. It won't take you long if you are talking about sports, and I'm just trying to get along with the conversation, and I like one team, the Saints, and I like uh, a handful of sports and probably like odd ones, and if you ask me more details about it because you're into fantasy football and you love all of the things and knowing the stats and numbers behind every player, you've lost me immediately, right? Now, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm uh, uh, confident in my own identity to out myself on this right now before you all, and you can make fun of me for it or not, but it doesn't take long before you're like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, I don't know. I like sports ball. It's, that's, that's all I got. I don't even, what sport are we talking about? I don't know the positions. I don't know any of these things. If you play sports, it gets even more invested. So when I was in high school, playing high school sports, it doesn't, so, so you can kind of go in and be a part of it, but eventually it's like, okay, so when are you going to be in the weight room next week? I'm like, oh, I, wasn't, I wasn't planning on any weight rooms. Well, you got to get there, man, if you want to get like better at this, if you want to kind of jump. Hey, we have a speed camp being offered this summer. Have you signed up for it yet? I don't, what are you talking about? I don't even know about what, what is a, what is a speed can? And then there's equipment that's better than others that you got to pay a little bit more for extra time and, and uh, options are given to you. And it eventually separates people who are like really in, in, do you know what I'm saying? Like there are some, you can, you can dip your toe in and that's fine. And there's a level of in that you're in, but they're not like really in until you've done these other things. You'll see it in neighborhoods too. There's a certain degree to where you are supposed to act. There are some things you've agreed to socially, depending on the neighborhood that you're a part of, right? Like if you have to keep up your yard, or it looks the same, or if there's colors that you have to match up with the tile and all of the, um, uh, the linoleum uh, siding on this end. You have HOAs that will keep you accountable to things like that if you're a part of a, a neighborhood that has an HOA. All of this kind of tells them, gives social cues, are you in or are you out with the rest of what's going on in this situation? I remember dating a girl who was 
is in an upper level of the financial earning status of Bullhead City, Arizona, where I grew up, all right? And all that means is she didn't live in a trailer park, and I did. And as I went up into her house, I've told this story before, I'd never seen a coaster, a coaster. Y'all know what a coaster is, right? I'd never seen one before in my life. I'm a high schooler. And her mom's like, gives me the drink. I put it down on the glass countertop or the coffee table. And she's like, oh, do you mind if I just, and I'm like, what is that? And I think to myself, and I, I've lovingly kind of called it this, there are coaster rules here. There are rules that I don't know exist, and she could have been real offended. What it really did was caused her to pity me because I didn't know normal social rules, right? But I realized if I am going to date this girl, I'm going to have to learn these rules and the other things that I don't know exist that are expectations of me. And she's like, loves my mom, right? So she's like, hey, let's go. I want to visit your mom. Let's come out to your house. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know how to tell you this, but... People like you don't make it very long in neighborhoods like the one I live in, so don't, we're not going to even venture into that territory um, at this point. And so here, here's my point. If you want to belong in a group, a community based on a topic, a hobby, where you live, a sport, an interest, anything, there's an entry-level place of belonging that has low barriers of entry. But if you want to go to that next level where there's maybe requirements of entry and things that you might have to do to belong in order to make sure that you are no longer a spectator, but you are somebody who is a part of what's going on, it causes you to have to give in some things, buy-in, devotion to the cause, commitment of some level, sometimes time or money, right, if there's dues in a membership. And so here's the thing, as long as any of you want to belong to something, As long as that desire is in you, you're going to have to participate in that give and take engagement. And and the crazy thing is everyone in here wants to belong, right? Every single person in here, there isn't one single person in here that doesn't want, even if you think you don't want to belong, then you want to belong with all the people who want to be known for the people who don't belong, right? I've been there. So there's this idea inside of us. We all want this. We all want to be a part of some group, somewhere, somehow. It doesn't matter how shy or introverted you actually are. Belonging is this universal thing that's built into the psyche of who we are. Sociologists consider it a fundamental need for human health and thriving. Not a luxury, not just a desire, but it's something that is as compelling as the need for food, they will say. So think about a time when you felt like you belonged to a group. Just kind of hold that in your head right now. When was a, a group, and, and maybe um, they're usually high-performing to some extent. So if it was a sports team, it's like we're all working together and this is doing well. Or, or maybe something at work that you were a part of, or something at school that you have been involved in. Maybe it's a house church that you were in, or a ministry that you participated into. And all of them have some of these aspects. You guys remember last week I introduced this, so I'm going to leave it up over the next two weeks, because I think it... It's a cool way to interact with you all in your thoughts, because usually a sermon is a monologue. It's one way. But here's a way for you to answer in, and all I did was ask this question. To belong means to, and you see it here, is be heard, to be kind, to be known, to be loved, to share love, right? To be included, to be needed for your gifts, to keep going. I left this over the week, so some of this is even some of the people from Speak Indie walking by and just writing some of their thoughts on here. 
And I want to know more about what you think on this. So as we introduce this idea, this interaction, I'm going to leave these markers out here. You can be as colorful or as plain as you want to be, um, but I'm going to put it out in, in the lobby for the next few weeks and feel free to add to this. What does it mean to you to belong? What made you feel connected when you were feeling connected? Was it an effort that was the, the, the establishment or the community making an environment that felt, make, made you feel like you belonged? And some places are really great at that, right? Some, some restaurants you walk into and you're just like, man, I feel like this is my place. Some, some of you, though, it's like an effect uh, of, of your skill set, something you're able to cultivate. Some people are just really good at no matter where they go, everyone's their friend and they just belong. So it's hard to even distinguish. Is it the, 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 the community doing it or, or is it the person who just knows how to get along in every situation? And obviously it's going to be a mixture of those two things. But what components, that's what I want you to think about. What components create a sense of belonging? Dr. Amelia Frank Meyer says this. She's a sociologist um, who's written on the idea of belonging a lot. Human infants are born the most vulnerable mammals on the planet. And while other mammals are born and they can crawl to a food source, able to walk or even swing from vines, but not our babies. Our babies are born and they just lay there and cry. (laughs) Our babies need protectors in order to thrive and survive. We come into the world literally tethered to another human being. Now her, her point is that we are birthed and, and cultivated in a society where the need for community is as apparent as it could possibly be right out the womb. We need another human being to survive. So as we think of this on a large scale, so socially, societally, I also want us to think about what it means in our community here at Common Ground Northeast. What does it mean in general just to be, uh, be somebody who belongs in the kingdom of heaven? What does it mean to belong to a faith community like a church? How is it the same or how is it different than belonging to like a country club or some sort of team sports? And often our churches have membership, right? We have a clear kind of line for membership. And if you moved, uh, how many of you have ever been at a church or at the, the era when you had to actually go and seek out a paper of transfer for your membership? Has anyone done that before? All right, we got a couple. Not many, though. I remember moving from Bullhead City to Phoenix, and the Baptist church I was a part of, actually, I didn't know I moved and then tried to get involved, and they said, where are your papers? <laughs> what are you talking about, my papers? I had to request a formal referral of transition so that they knew that I left that church on good terms and not for any wrong reason, and I had to submit that to the other Baptist church that I was about to be a part of. So I used to be a normal thing at some points in time. And so what I want us to kind of think about, in our history, we don't have formal membership at Common Ground. Let me tell you why. When that decision was made, the leadership at Common Ground um, was coming into, was viewing membership as a barrier to somebody feeling like they belonged to the church. It reminded them of kind of that crusty old religious duty. And if you had to transfer papers, you can see where that might come from, right? It feels very legalistic in that context. Now, we're reevaluating that. Not, not, we're not probably going to go full membership in the way that some of you have maybe seen it. But what we've realized is that some of you all who are new have come in and actually not having membership has been a barrier to you feeling like you belong. Because you're like, well, how do I even know that I'm a part? Like, I want to jump on this thing, but you're not giving me any handles to know that I'm either, like, in or out. And so we say, hey, can you do some announcements or help us out? Like, I don't don't even know if I'm a part of this church, so 
I, I don't feel quite ready to do something like that. And so as we're talking about it, um, you know, we're trying to see how do, you, how do you create ways of people feeling like they belong at Common Ground Northeast Christian Church without the super formality, but maybe something not so loose that it's, it's like so amoebas you can't even grab onto it. These are all big questions, right? When you think about the society, the, the small version, how it might play out in our own church right here. And so what I want to do is ask you all to open up your Bibles. Um, I want us to look at what would it look like to be long in the first century of a church. So if you open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, if you have your physical Bible, open that up or click on, on it in your Bible app. There's also some physical Bibles back there if you didn't bring one and you just want to follow along. And then, of course, we'll always have them up on the, um, the screen for you to check out. So Acts chapter 2, this is possibly one of the most famous. We've talked about this verse a lot, um, uh, and, and it's one of the kind of the epitome of what it looked like in communal life during this time. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Let me read it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Is the intensity of that kind of community not intimidating? Like, you read that and you think, I remember reading it for the very first time, new Christian, coming out of it from, from high school, and they asked me to read John and Acts, and I read this, I'm like, hold up, you all sold all of your possessions? I'm walking into the Baptist church with the assumption that you say you follow the Bible, I'm walking in after reading this, thinking, you just did this then. And is that what's going to be required for me? And so I'm thinking through all of this, some of this is like an intense description, and, and you start to think, I don't know that we can live like that, like everything is just arranged differently socially, uh, financially, um, all of the way things are, are uh, the way that they interact with families and with jobs and stuff, and how quickly um, it is that, that, you know, you can move based on a job opportunity in a different state or in a different city. The dynamics that we look at are so different, how do we even begin to take what we just read and apply it to our lives today. Well, I want to give you a couple of tools, some things that I have seen that I think are really helpful. It's just language or kind of areas to think of what it means to belong. Um, and so I want to give you two buckets. There's actually going to be three. There's a quick little graphic. You want to throw that up there for me? Thank you, thank you. So three things, and I'm going to focus on the first two um, because I don't have time to get into the last one, but distinct behaviors. What I mean by that is this is the way in which you act. And the way you act determines whether or not you are a part of a group or not. Or is it more so distinct beliefs, things you believe and think in your mind? Is that what it means to belong? And then that third one is more a bonds idea, something I was thinking through. Um, these first two are well-worn paradigms in the, in the social and, re, and religious circles have, have adopted them in lots of ways. The third one is just one that I made up because I'm like, is it, is it possible to like just be born into a family and whether you behave or believe, you just kind of can't get out because that's part of your family? your blood bought in, or a moment when maybe you have had a shared experience 
And no matter what you believe or do, that shared experience causes a connection when you see someone who's been through the same thing, right? So I'm going to throw that third one out. We're going to focus on just these top two distinct behaviors. They're, they're again, well-worn. They're ideas that have been um, uh, talked about, and this is how they interact together. Distinct behaviors, more specifically, are the ways that you act. So the practices the activities you engage in, things that would be considered actions that are socially acceptable within that group, and if you diverge from them, it might be considered not a part of that group anymore. Examples, like kind of real tangible examples, like codes of conduct. If you go sign up for the YMCA, there's a whole code of conduct up on the wall, and this is them trying to communicate to you. There are some behaviors that are acceptable and not acceptable in this environment. Disciplines might be some things that you do, like we take communion every week, and that is a discipline from the heritage, the restoration movement that we come from, um, uh, from, from, for, for, for many churches and has been happening for many years, right? So disciplines can be things that are required actions. Now, the pros of co- and cons of prioritizing just behavior is this. Behaviors are very tangible, easy to implement. You can just do these things, right? And they're very clear, I'm supposed to, take communion or read my Bible so often during the week or so many minutes during the day. So they're easy to implement, but you can, here's the con, you can just do it, go through the motions, and it doesn't actually connect with you or affect you, right? So, so there's a way in which, like, you can engage in this, but it's just you doing it out of rote memorization, and often that's the critique of behaviors and church uh, organizations that revolve around just behavior. Then you have distinct beliefs, so I'm going to flesh that out just a little bit more. The ways you think, socially acceptable concepts, right? Not necessarily things you do, but things that are in your mind and that you've agreed to, the ideas that organize your life, your priorities, they frame in the way that you take in information. So examples would be like for a church, a statement of belief. That's a thought-based or a, a distinct belief. Another one would be like a political ideology. You are thinking all of these things and you are filtering governing processes through one version or another, right? The pros and cons there is that it can help create alignment if we're all thinking the same way. It's a memorizable idea. If you've ever memorized the creed, that's helpful. But there's some cons in there too is that by memorizing things, it may not actually lead to you doing anything with it. Have you seen that before? We just went through James. Faith without deeds is dead. And so I want you to kind of think about these two ideas as they interact. There's a couple of classic arguments that arise from this idea. I'm going to go ahead and flip this around. Part of the reason this is up here is because it's whiteboard time. And you know how much I love a Venn diagram. So we're going to start with that. This is what I want you to see. If belonging is a a destination, I'm over here and I'm trying to figure out, right, treasure map style, go around in a circle, and if I'm trying to eventually in a community be the person who belongs, some of these things uh, that interact are um, uh, the first one, which is um, how does one believe, if I start over here with believe, There we go. I'm just going to, I'm going to have to rewrite these. I'll do them shorter next time. Does believing something really always affect belonging? Uh, Oh, I did the wrong one. My bad. This was behave. Y'all didn't even call me out on that. Because you don't know where I'm going with it, huh? 
Like, I don't know what you're doing right now. Circles. So, so is it always true that when you believe something, it changes your behavior? Well, we just talked about that. Not necessarily, right? Well, what about can your behavior change the way you believe? Has anyone experienced that? So, so in the Jewish community, one of the things they say is like, hey, we have these rituals and things that we do. The Old Testament marks out a lot of them. And we actually just say, go ahead and start doing them. And in the doing, it will review to, reveal to you why you should believe it. So there's some wisdom to that, right? But does it always happen? Not necessarily. And we revolve in a culture, a Western culture, that's more belief-oriented. So the, so the basic question is, how do these two things interact? Does believe affect behave? Does behave affect believe? The second major question that comes up, though, is this. In order to get to belong, if I'm this person over here, in order to get all the way over there, that's a poor stick figure, but you got the, the point, do I believe first, then behave, and then I belong? Or does it reverse do I behave the right ways and in behaving eventually believe and then that's when I belong? Do you see how those kind of negotiations take place? I'm going to introduce a couple more, but this is what I want you to see. If you think that you're supposed to just do all the right things, if you want to say behavior is the most important aspect of turning into somebody who belongs inside of a crowd, then what I could do is say, open up your scriptures to Acts chapter 5. Now, a man named Anna, you don't, don't really do it. I'm going to read it to you. Now, unless, do we have those up there? Did I give you those scriptures? Oh, wow. So, so read along with me. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for your land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who had heard what had happened. Then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife comes in. And not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down and his feet and died, and then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out and buried her outside, or buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. So I could throw this at fr in front of you and say, it all revolves around what you do. This person did not behave. These two people behaved improperly. They did not do the right actions. They did not follow the things that they were supposed to do. And so this seems to be the most important factor in this one isolated scripture. And a works-based church would throw this in front of you and champion it and try to get you to do all of the right things out of fear. Now, other churches would say, if you believe the right things, then you can be the member, right? So if I want to convince you of this, I'll put the emphasis on Jesus' conversation with Peter. It's a little bit shorter. Matthew 16, it'll also be up there. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do, you, who do the people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Well, but what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, 
the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome you. So Peter knew the right thing. He was able to tell God the correct theological information back to him. And if you really want to take this to the next step, he also got a high position of authority for knowing the right things. Now, if I wanted to throw this isolated incident at you, we could say that teaching is is the most important thing that we do on Sunday. So we want to champion this, and we want you to sign on every dotted line of the theological belief statement that we have inside of this. And then let me give you two quicker ones that are more recent. Why don't we just circumvent all of this and let people belong first? And then along the way, as they interact with the community, they'll, they'll, they'll figure out, they'll start to behave and to believe the right things or believe and then behave, depending on the order that you think. Now, there's something that is, I think, wise in the midst of that. It's a good question because it lowers the barrier to entry and allows people to come as they are. But, but here's, um, and, and let me give you a verse that could support that. Jesus came to the disciples and said, come, follow me first. Then I will make you fishers of men. So that verse would clearly support that idea. You belong first, then I'm going to have some things that go on behind the scenes that help bring you along into it. And I would say this is a very evangelistic, missional, seeker-sensitive kind of focus for a church. Some churches would say this is their part in the process. Other churches do long-term discipleship. Our job is to bring the, the, the de-churched and unchurched in, all right? Okay, I can see that. The cons, though, is that people might feel bait and switched. Like, oh, I belong, but eventually I realize you really, I belong because you wanted to change me. Or the discipleship commitment to the overall, like, maturity of Christ gets watered down in the process of it. Now, let me throw one more at you. Why don't we not bait and switch people? Why don't we instead just let everyone belong regardless of behavior, regardless of belief. And I would say this would be a church that would champion inclusion for the sake of inclusion. And so what happens here is that there is this like, I've I've done some good things. Like I want to care for people. I don't want them to feel like they've been tricked. Do you see the heart and the shepherding instinct that goes behind that that I think is just beautiful and powerful? Um, and, and what ends up happening um, inside of this, though, is that it's, it's actually very idealistic because in the end, as we talked about before, no community in the world actually operates like this. You can, you can be there at some instance, but nobody, at some point, something is required of us to actually kind of be in and to move towards the center of that community. So it's idealistic. Even if you don't have clear lines of exclusion, people will eventually decide for you, like the woman did on my behalf when I realized I didn't have the information to prove I cared about her subject. And she's going to realize, oh, you don't actually care about this. All right? And, and then the second thing is just, this. Jesus is continually calling us deeper and deeper into the likeness of who he is. So he doesn't leave us just to be there and belong. In fact, it would show a great lack of care if that was true, knowing what Jesus knows. You've heard this phrase, Jesus accepts you as you are, but he loves you too much just to leave you right there. 
And so these classic categories, belief, behavior, I do think they're components of this. You can't just write these things off as if they don't exist, but communities will tend to like want to pick one and champion it and say, this is the one that's most important over the other ones. And now, and, and, and so kind of what I want you to do, I want to reread Acts, just the same section that I did, a little slower, but now that you have these categories and the language to think this through, behavior and belief, I want you to identify where is that, oh, that's a behavior, oh, that's a belief. Oh, that looks like maybe someone just belonged before. Where do you see all of these things? Let's read it together. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devotion determines something, right? Some kind of commitment. There are some beliefs in the teaching of the apostles and to the fellowship. To the breaking of bread, that's behaviors and a rhythm of behaviors that we still do to this day. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers, once again, some kind of unified belief is assumed. We were together and had everything in common. Well, like what? Here's some behaviors. They sold the property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together. That's a lot of behaviors, one right after the other. With glad and sincere hearts, that's kind of belief. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I hadn't planned for this, but it just occurred to me that this is a statement of belonging right here. People are belonging because of their rhythm of belief and behavior, added to their number. So you can see this, and here's, if, if it's not obvious yet, here's, here's my point. I can find representations of these categories throughout the New Testament. They're all there. There actually isn't one. If you, if you wanted to um, have a true sense of belonging, there's like a rhythm of all of these things. I think that we actually can't remove any one of these or champion one as more important than the other and still remain healthy as a community. I mean, you can do it, but we don't see it as an example in Scripture. It seems like both behavior and belief have something going on and that the movement through these things into belonging actually has to do with coming closer to the formation in the heart of Jesus as we do so. Putting one as a priority usually happens, and here's maybe where the heart kind of gets um, engaged, is if you had an experience with a church or a community of people that overemphasized it and you got hurt by it. And so there's a knee-jerk reaction often that will take place inside of that. That there is a pendulum swing of like, hey, so then, okay, I'm not going to deal with beliefs at all. Because that, if that's all they care about over there and they treated this person like, like uh, they weren't even human, then, then I'm not going to, the beliefs must be incorrect. And so I'm going to swing to this other. Well, behaviors are all that matter. But then there's this kind of behavior zombie where they don't actually care about anything that's happening. They're just moving to consume and behave in certain ways. And so there's beauty in both of these things, and anytime you want to champion one as supreme over the others, what you have is a breakdown in what it actually means to belong. And what I want is for people to actually belong at Common Ground Northeast. And so what, what we're going to, what, we what I want to kind of move you towards is um, looking at the life of Jesus. Over these next few weeks, what we're going to do is kind of take different aspects of belonging. I think best it's taken as a season. We live in this for a while. 
and we uh, 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 cultivate a sense of what, what Jesus is teaching. And then we move over here and say, but are your actions, that's what James really was, are your actions aligning with the things that you say you believe? And then we maybe need to spend a little bit of time over here and that there are certain areas where you can belong before you believe and behave. In fact, Common Ground has a lot of places here where you can just come and be and participate and serve whether you believe or behave in the way that we have asked you according to our statement of belief that's out there. And so there's areas and places and environments where, yeah, just come and belong. Come and heal for a while if you got hurt somewhere along the ways. But if, like Jesus, you think that we're not hoping somewhere along the way you interact with the scriptures and you start to believe some things that Jesus is teaching or you start to behave in some ways that Jesus has told us to behave, if you, if that, if, if you think that that's not our hope and our prayer eventually, then I hope you don't get bait and switched because I'm just telling you right now. And it's all part of what it means to come together and to become a solidified, engaged group of people. What you see over and over is not Jesus telling people they can't come, but a self-selection. You'll hear him say directly, this is just too hard for me, and they walk away. The parable of the sower and the seed reveals multiple reasons why people don't stick with walking with Jesus. And so I want us to be a place that emphasizes, for specific purposes, areas and rhythms of engagement wherein you can belong and believe over time as you come to know Jesus. So sometimes you have to decide where those places are gonna be, and behind the scenes, the leadership is doing our best to do that. But here's a couple of things that I think I'm trying to maybe surface through this. Two cultural ideas that I've observed um, that I think maybe are not not helpful. Um, Inclusion is not the gospel. There are areas where the gospel is very inclusive. But there are times when Jesus is like, ah, but to follow me, it's going to cost you your life. So inclusion itself is not the gospel, although at times it will overlap. And this isn't a one-way street. There's a relationship happening. So if we want to talk about this inclusion idea, it doesn't happen for no reason. If you think about our culture, we're trying to become more loving as a culture. That's the heart of being inclusive, right? It's all over my kids' schools. There is a desire to want to make people feel loved and that they belong inside of that. Again, it's just idealistic, but inclusion for inclusion's sake without a call to life change, and by that I mean a call to formation to the likeness of Jesus, is actually just us being codependent. If you know that somebody has an addiction and you just inclusively let them belong in every way possible and allow them to continue to indulge that, you're not actually helping them. And so there's some things that have to happen inside of that. And whether you like it or not, there are seasons of invitation. Come, be a part. You're in. Come on. Well, now have you thought about this or dealing with these different things? And out of love for others, we have to believe that Jesus' way is better than any other way of life and call people into that way of life. All right? The second thing is that the church is a two-way street, which involves relationship and a responsibility. We've used this language over and over, but what I want you to see is having healthy expectations for one another is good. You all should have healthy expectations for the leaders here at Common Ground Northeast. 
Titus, Timothy, and other scriptures will say we are responsible for leading, teaching and preaching, protecting from false teachers, exhorting the saints to sound doctrine, visiting the sick and praying, allowing our deeds to match the things that we preach, judge on certain issues when there is a discrepancy in the group. This is just a few that I pulled off a quick list. These are things that leaders in a church should be held responsible to doing for you and a part of your life and involved in. But likewise, there is a communal expectation for those who want to call this their church home. It's based on some of the things we've read in Acts, based on other things. And this is how um, I want us to break it down and look at it moving forward. Um, again, we've used this, this paradigm. There's some disciplines that we're going to teach on over the next couple of weeks. The first one is that we want to be in a rhythm of gathering together. All right? The second one is that we want to be in a rhythm of growing together. That iron needs to sharpen iron, and you have to be in a context where you're growing in your walk with Jesus somehow, some way here at Common Ground. That you would give of your time, talent, and treasure. That there is a part of what it means to keep us moving forward and buying into the mission that has to do with service and tithing and all these different things that would be giving of your time and your gifts and your, and your treasure. And the last thing would be that you would go and that you would live on behalf of being sent from us as ambassadors of the kingdom of God but of Common Ground Northeast. And so one of the things that, that today's um, series is really built to help us walk through is um, over the time, COVID has determined your level of gathering, I believe. It has determined in many, for many of us our level of growth, give and go, and all of these things, and I'm tired of letting COVID make that decision for us. And so I want us to commit to some things together, to be involved, not to just belong to an organization, but to belong to one another, that we as leaders belong to you, you belong to us, and you all belong to one another. So it is this solidified, unified group of people who love each other and want to call each other into greater forms of discipleship. Did you know that we have about 172 families who are a part of our church? If you all showed up on the same day to gather, we would have a meltdown. But if you look at those numbers, we should be two services right now, right? If you actually think about all of you showing up, that's households, right? There's multiple people in each of those households. And so this isn't like a call. We're, we're so not a like, come on Sunday mornings, every day, rain or shine, which you all did. So very well done. Thank you. But you have to understand that there is a rhythm, right? The average family goes once every six weeks, it's really hard to know who you're even gathering with at that point, right? I remember having a conversation about our budget, and again, we don't talk about money all that often. It's like a discipline for us to say we need to talk about this. It's that we, we were trying to make our budget and, and coming out of COVID, and this is more the last year's budget, but just coming out of COVID and the, uh, the leader of the ops team at that time was like, how do you even plan for this? We don't, we don't even know who's around anymore. We don't know who's in, who's out. How do I project what the next year's budget is going to be when I have zero variables going into this? And I'm like, yep, welcome to my world, man. This is a crazy situation that we're in. And so there's this idea where we allow ourselves to be able to lean and trust on each other for when we make these plans into the future. And so here, here's my final, just I want to cast a little bit of vision. We can be so much more for each other than we are being right now. Amen. We can be a, such a better support for each other. We can be a gospel community who belongs to one another, that we gather, grow, give, and go with some level of confidence that when I show up, others are going to be there too. That when I give to that thing, someone else has given to it as well. That when I want to get into a discipleship class and course, that others are going to be there and we're going to rub against each other and we're going to learn. And that when I share the gospel in a grocery market, I know other people at Common Ground are doing the same thing. Because we're collectively moving in this direction.
as a unified people. I'm 14 minutes over my time, y'all. I want us to be that. I want us to be this support system. I want us to be a kind of people who grow in knowing the presence of God is in our midst and that we're moving towards something together. And to some extent, I feel like we're at a place of, we, we've had some cultural negotiations and some good and bad times through the midst of that. So next week, we have a gospel team coming to help lead, um, and they're gonna be here once a month over the next couple weeks, and maybe even more than that beyond that. And so I love when, when I come in and Caleb is making sure those electric guitar lines are right because he loves his craft and he wants to lead you all into worship. But I also love that there's some other things, and that's a hard negotiation. And if we don't say we're going to be committed to that, then it's going to be too easy to say, I don't get what I want. I don't, I don't have what I want this round. And so what I want to call to us is a, a commitment to coming together and understanding this is like a new beginning for us right now. We've gone through that season. We made some decisions to collectively come together in a multi-ethnic, multicultural kind of way. But if we don't have a base level commitment to one another to gather, give, grow, and go, then COVID is still going to kind of linger around and make decisions for us. We're going to kind of base ideas off of what's available, and we maybe even get out of that into just the cycles of ups and downs. We have a few more people during this season, a few less people, and then people come on Easter and Christmas, um, and, 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 and there's nothing pulling us out of that cycle and propelling us forward so that we become a family on mission unless we say we're just in. So you remember that one bond at the front end that I said. This is where we just commit that we're going to be bonded together and we're going to work on our behaviors and we're going to work on our beliefs and we're going to do it together, but ultimately so that the devotion and community and mission of Jesus Christ would be made central in the midst of our church and the Holy Spirit would saturate us and we would see the life of the Son and want to say that's what we're about. So will you make the commitment with us today? Let's pray. So Father, uh, no one's signing on the dotted line. Uh, it's relational. It's, it's, it's what we decide to do in this moment, to, to say we are going to, to double down and say this is us. This is who we are today. And this is who we are becoming. So Father, help us to increase the ways in which we gather, grow, give, and go to one another. And as we talk about that, God, challenge us as individuals, challenge us as house churches, challenge us as ministries, challenge us as the people of God in a collective body to do things that we didn't even know you had in store for us to accomplish because we just weren't unified and collected enough to accomplish it. Inspire us, give us new ideas, fresh creativity. Father, one of my, my, my major prayers here is that we would be influential whether or not we are large in number. That people would see that what we're doing is hard, but we're doing it anyways, and that people would want to know, how did you all do that? And so, God, as we seek after what it means to empower and be courageous and to seek justice, Father, let us do it in a way that brings reconciliation to the things that were broken when the fall happened. Father, bring us together. Convict us where it's appropriate, and God, give us grace where we might need that this morning, even as I have spoken. But eventually, Father, you need to call us deeper towards one another, deeper towards you, and I just want to say I'm open. So God, let us commune together. Let us talk about ministries together. Let's go into discipleship classes together, and we do this all right now under the powerful name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen.